So can so I, can let's I... shift to, to something else now, which is, so the book is comprised of four chapters, which is very interesting because each is very rich. Um, and so we've been discussing mostly chapter one and two. I want to shift to the um, to to a significant part of the book, which is on human shields, also now the subject of a new book that you and Neve are um, working on and co-authoring. Um, so on human shields, here you demonstrate these ironies of how the human rights framework is used in order to uh, facilitate Israel's sovereign right to kill or the expansion of what Israel would consider its sovereign right to kill. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Uh, sure. Um, well, it's it's about a certain kind of use uh, uh, of the law, but human shielding is is and and human and human shields is is a, is a problematic topic. Not not just because of the use, but if we look at international law, it it's problematic because of how it is framed in 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 in. Uh, in international law, but well, basically, uh, to go back on, I mean, in Gaza and in the book, we focus on Gaza and how, in 2014, human shields and human shielding became uh, a prominent topic of debate. Basically, what what happened is that the Israeli government framed almost an entire population as a as a human shielding population. That was very uh, very striking for us because. Um, uh, th- th- there is there is a huge risk behind that. There is a huge risk precisely because international law is uh, lends itself to to certain forms of appropriation, uh, which risk to uh, 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 legitimize the the, 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 the killing and, and, and white, the white killing of of uh, civilians. Uh, I will explain myself. Uh, international international law. Uh, uh, prohibits uh, the use of of uh, human shields, but once uh, a civilian is framed as human shield, international law doesn't say that that civilian that became a shield is not killable. That civilian can be killed. That's where the question becomes uh, extremely tricky. And again, the struggle is is uh, a struggle. Uh, 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 in the realm of the common sense, because the struggle is about uh, framing and how you frame uh, a context of uh, 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 of military aggression and how you frame the actors in the battlefield. Uh, so what Israel did in 2014 was to, to produce uh, a considerable amount of uh, uh, documentation, let's say, and, and propaganda, uh, which was aimed to 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 frame uh, uh, the entire civilian population in Gaza as as human shields. You will remember. I'm sure you remember Netanyahu going to the to to the uh, um, um, general assembly with a picture of 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 two uh, of some children playing around a, 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 um, a missile or uh, or um, I mean. It, it was so. I remember a lot of those images, Nicola. Yes, yes. And, and it, insulting, insulting images. And it, yeah, it was um, it was particularly striking for us. So uh, I, I think that that Gaza was really in Gaza 2014 was a crucial moment in this uh, international adoption of the of the language of of human shielding, and it generated uh, 
some reflections because now people are writing about that that moment and that war. Uh, uh, there is a new U.S. manual of of war which is focusing a lot. Uh, 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 on human shields, trying to use basically the same arguments that were used by the uh, by the Israeli army and by the the, the 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 government after Gaza 2014. But then the roots of the problem are not in uh, Gaza 2014 or yeah, the yeah. Or, or the 2015 uh, 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 law of war manual in the U.S. The problem is. Uh, is in the history of the emergence of this notion of human shielding, is, is, is in how, uh, again, international law has progressively conceived this, this uh, threshold uh, 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 category. Uh, this threshold category, by threshold category, I mean uh, a civilian which is transformed into, into, into something else. Um, uh, who is a human shield? How, how to define this, this very peculiar uh, uh, legal category? Uh, can, can, so this so is this very is interesting for me, as you know, this is also research that I've been doing for my own project. Um, and just a, a few comments on the, so in the DOD manual, I mean, one of the things that we often say is how much Israel is exporting to the world in the global war on terror. And yet, you know, this new work that Adel Haq, a law professor at Rutgers, has demonstrated is that the DOD manual, U.S. DOD manual 2014, actually has, you know, its it seeds um, from W. Hayes Park. In, in several administrations before. And so this isn't something that we pick up from Israel, but rather that uh, there's a yep. synergy between Israel and the United States that they're sharing with one another. And the distinctions that are being made that are very, you know, uh, problematic, as as we would say, and very legalistic, is trying to distinguish voluntary from involuntary human shields. So that if a, if a person is forced to be somewhere, then they deserve protection. But if they're there voluntarily, they don't deserve protection. But how does one, how does one make that distinction on the battlefield? And according to what information provided by which parties? So, you know, where the legal becomes absolutely devastating on this question. Um, and then the other thing about who is the civilian? Who is the civilian? Um, and, and this comes up in Israel's um, 2006 uh, High Court of Justice uh, decision on the, uh, what is it, the, the Pikati, the the public committee against torture in Israel versus the government of Israel, which is basically its targeted killing case. Uh, and there we see, I think, a shift in who is a civilian because the Supreme or the High Court says, um, at the same time says, there are no com Palestinian combatants, which basically means there's, there's there's no Palestinian soldier. There's no soldiers who have belligerent immunity or belligerent privileges, the right to kill uh, or the right to be, you know, captured as a POW, right? And to be exchanged. Uh, and at the same time, there's no combatants uh, and they're all civilians who directly partake in hostilities. But that participation in hostilities, which, you know, traditionally in humanitarian law has a temporal quality that says they're only legitimate targets uh, if for the time that they take up arms, what the High Court of Justice decision says is that for Palestinians who have a, who are part of a quote unquote a terrorist organization, the time between the, the moment between that they take up arms and put them down is only rest. And it's a continuous combat function that then gets also picked up as you, you know, we're discussing the synergy by the Red Cross on, on what is a direct participant. All this to say, I'm getting in too much into the weeds of it. The, the short of it is, 
that by declaring that Palestinians are neither combatants nor are they civilians, right? Because they're all continuously co continuous combatants. So it's not that they're direct participants in hostilities, but they're always participating. We get an outcome where almost almost any Palestinian becomes a legitimate target. And so uh, just this interesting expansion of of civilians and the, the reduction of who has combatant or, or civilian immunity. If you want to comment on that, I don't know how much that overlaps with what you're doing as well. Uh, well, it overlaps uh, with it a lot. I mean, on the one hand, there are clear situations in which human shielding was uh, adopted also as a... Uh, as a method, uh, as a method of resistance, there are some salient moments in in recent uh, history, the Iraq wars, and and other situations in which human shielding is deliberately announced as a um, um, as a technique uh, uh, of resistance. But then, uh, I mean, we are I mean, we're interested in that, but we're more interested about what. But you're talking about about the fact that uh, again, it's like human rights. These categories uh, we're dealing with the category of civilian, the category of combatant are uh, are constantly constantly rearticulated, uh, are constantly reappropriated and translated into specific contexts. I mean, it becomes really a question of of uh, definitions in in uh, uh, case by case, war by war. Uh, and it's a constant process of, of construction of, uh, of the definition. You were right when you were pointing uh, to the fact that, again, it's not something, this debate is, uh, has nothing to do with, with Gaza 2014 and the appropriation by the U.S. of, of an Israeli language. I mean, this debate about the status of civilians uh, is, is the crucial debate. Is, uh, uh, who is a civilian? Who is not? Is where... Uh, we're trying to 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 go with with uh, with our research, trying to see uh, in which kind of circumstances certain kind of definitions were produced, and what were the effects of the production of those definitions of certain kind of crucial debates like Vietnam in the seventies. Uh, it, 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 it's interesting to see how historically this tension between the civilian and the combatant was was articulated and that, that is where we're trying to go with the book uh, to try to dig into history also in the, uh, in, in, in other conflicts, in, in colonial conflicts, in, in, in the American Civil War, uh, how prisoners of, of war and, and, and certain kind of civilians acquired a threshold position. Mm -hmm. uh, through kind, through through which kind of processes, through which kind of ways of framing uh, this this uh, threshold uh, uh, character of the human shield. So I think it it's, um, uh, the the issue is so foggy also because we do not we do not have really a, an historical and genealogical perspective on that, and we should develop it. So that that's that's why we feel the urgency of developing the book. I mean, of course, there is a lot of debate about civilians and, com and, and combatants, but then uh, uh, we think that this character, this figure of, of the human shield um, uh, being this, this uh, threshold political and legal figure uh, probably conserves and, and preserves the traces of, of something in, in important to understand, uh, to understand the present. So... 
Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, especially, you know, there's great research uh, in humanitarian law in that field and uh, legal historians who demonstrate that the category of civilian never included non-whites. So in it, so that the, even in its genealogy, it's been an expansion to include nine whites into that category um, of civilians, which overlaps with your own discussion about the expansion of the, you know, who is human, which is something that, you, you know, you touch on um, as well. Yep. It sounds like fascinating work. I look forward to, the, you know, to the book and, and to the pieces of the book that you continue to share in your more, you know, in, in on Jadalia and in the London Review of Books and in uh, the Huffington Post and elsewhere where you're really disseminating this critical knowledge to a very broad audience. So thank you for that as well. Thank you, Nora. 